0: Hey, it's Laura. Hey, it's Nicole. Welcome to Quarter Down, where we have on leaders, mentors, and entrepreneurs that are operating a social enterprise as a social entrepreneur.
1: They are building out innovative solutions to social, cultural, or environmental issues. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to episode 23 of Quarter Down. Today we have on Tony, the founder of Be One To Give, which is Canada's number one food redistribution app. So Tony, as the founder of Canada's number one food redistribution app, what inspired you to start this social enterprise?
2: Uh, well, my situation was a little different because it was through lived experience. Um, I In 2016, I had lost, I I shouldn't say lost, but in 2016, I'd worked for two national banks. I'd worked 16 years for two national banks, four years in the nonprofit sector. And I was two years into uh, my own business when I had committed all of my resources to launching my business, but also paying my salary. I lived as as though I had a job, although I was self-employed and I had no revenue coming in. So I just tried to sustain myself. And at the end of my launch event, I had $278 to my name. So I had no money, no job, a failed business, and ended up food insecure. So that, about two months later, I... um, Sorry, it just kind of hit me for a second. Um, About two months later, I uh, ended up working for an event staffing agency just to get into the hospitality industry. That was the first job I could find just to make money. And about a year later, roughly, I was hired by one of those catering companies. So as part of the staffing agency, we were assigned to various cater companies and various venues around the city. A year later, one of those catering companies specifically hired me as an event manager. And on my first event, we had over a hundred box lunches left over. So being food insecure myself, I took some home and I redistributed the surplus to a shelter. And I did that every event for about a year um, until the one day I couldn't rescue all the food and an Uber East driver, I was doing this on my bike. so. While I was redistributing the food to the shelter, an Uber Eats driver whipped past me on that day. And I just said to myself, I need to get one of those uh, backpacks to do this so that one, I wouldn't have to worry about ever having to not be able to rescue all the food, but also to repurpose it. And I could use it for my own groceries. So I was sort of giving myself a reason to purchase something to do volunteer work with. Um, And then that purchase was the catalyst behind B1 to Give. It was like, you know, well, we're a catering company. How many other catering companies have this, um, have the surplus food every day? And then who else has this type of surplus food? There's grocery stores, hotels, at the time, hotels, convention centers, event venues, banquet halls. So there were all of these other institutions out there that had all this surplus food, was throwing in the garbage. So I just, I wasn't that, yes, that was the catalyst to start B1 to Give, but I wasn't confident that it would become what it is today. It was just like, wait a minute, like, could I start? a redistribution service. I'd been doing it as a volunteer for a year. So I knew what it took. I knew the effort involved in doing something like that. So it was just more of a, could I develop something like this? So I spent the next year researching food waste, food insecurity, um, other food waste diversion programs and apps that were in market. And I noticed that there were none out there doing what I was thinking I could do. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just kept pushing forward. And mm-hmm. May twenty nineteen, I launched the business.
0: Wow, I I That's... I got chills when you were telling that story. <laughs> That's amazing.
2: Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy.
1: It's a beautiful story. I I when I was researching Tony on LinkedIn, I I didn't know the exact origin of B one to give, but I think that is just such mind blowing kind of experiences that you've been through because you have lived it yourself and you've also. Worked in the industry where food waste is so prevalent and common. So that's, that's really beautiful, Tony. Thank you for, for what you do. And um, to kind of state the stage here a bit with some statistics so I saw on your website that Canada has a $49 million food waste issue with six million Canadians suffering from food insecurity. So you mentioned you launched in 2019 and through this launch, you've been able to develop an app that is barrier free with a timeline of one hour to retailer to shelter. So tell us a little bit about your process. Where do you find these retailers and do you have consistent partnerships or would you say there's some volatility there?
2: Um, well. There, you can find the retailers anywhere. I mean, every, there's grocery stores are the only, well, not just grocery stores, but grocery stores have been our primary resource now that all of the other institutions have been shut down. So our primary client target group right now are meal, uh, grocery stores and meal prep kitchens because those are the, our two readily available active prospects that we can really um, get at. Now, the only difference is that grocery stores would, would use us probably on a daily basis where meal prep kitchens would probably use us twice a week at best. So it's really about how often our clients, because we want to make sure that the, the program is profitable. We do charge per pickup, um, but I would need, let's say one or two grocery stores, however, 10 to 20 meal prep kitchens in order to be profitable fully. So we're really targeting grocery stores, um, big box grocery stores, ones, ones that have a national for print, uh, because if we're able to service that one location locally, then we can easily scale the app across the country without without a doubt um so right now we're working on a series of initiatives um with particular clients our biggest issue right now i guess our our um yeah i would say our, our biggest barrier is that the reopening process with all of the retailers is really what's holding us back so grocery stores yes are great and we've been able to Get our, our foot in the door with a couple, but we haven't been able to have those tangible conversations that we're able to say, like, listen, this is the program, this is what we do, and this is how we can do it for you. Um, but we do have a couple of really great clients literally sitting in the wind saying, listen, we want to work with you. We want to implement this program, but we are going to do it during our reopening strategy with all of our tenants. So it's situations like that where, you know, we have a major commercial property manager looking to promote the program to their food tenants on our behalf. Um, So that's great. But again, it's part of that reopening strategy. So whenever they reopen again, which could be May, June, who knows, um, is when that will take place, which is why we're really trying to get um, into meal prep kitchens, because they are still readily available. They're always moving. Um, they're always cooking and we we do have a client right now that's a meal prep kitchen but it's only one we want to be able to service all of them um, across the city so that's really great i guess i don't really think if there's like volatility per se when it comes to the process we launched the service 2019 through text messaging as a pilot because i didn't want to put the effort towards building an app and the financing towards building an app and people not take to it Um, because then I'm out you know I'm out a few hundred grand. (laughs) So I said you know let me test the service just by text messaging. I secured three clients uh, and within those three months we were moving food almost on a daily basis or every other day. So it was really great. We had really great traction. Um, We got picked up by three major news outlets. CBC did a story on us which was really awesome and that story got national press and from that press we started receiving inbound sales calls from University of Toronto, Cadillac Fairview, uh, Tourism Toronto, like institutions like this. And we were like, I was a bit overwhelmed with the response because it come like literally overnight. It was, it happened really quickly. The app, fortunately for us, the app was in production at that moment. U of T had taken us on as a partner project. So they were building our app for free at that time. But the with the response that I, we had, initially gotten, I said to myself, how am I going to be able to service all of these all of these organizations through text messaging? So we need to really speed up the app process, um, get the app built really quickly. And then COVID shut us down. So although it shut everybody down, it also did us a favor because it gave us time to develop the app to completion. So we know that it's perfect. It's not rushed to market. Um, It gave me time to hire uh, team members, so I knew that I was ready to go once we were ready to launch the app. Um, and then it also amplified the need for our service. Food insecurity became national news overnight when COVID happened. So, and watching the, the multiple ad hoc food redistribution programs pop up around the city actually made me realize, it's like, wow, not only did our was our service needed before COVID, But now look at what COVID's done. It's amplified the need for your service. The community is now amplifying the need for your service because they're out there actually executing your app en masse. So they're beta testing it for me. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, like this is actually like it's like I had found the golden nugget. Like I I didn't know what it was or or how it happened. But I was like, I came up with this idea two years before COVID um, was in existence. And this is where we are now. And this so the process of getting past those barriers when it comes to acquiring those clients, it's very temporary. I don't. I we launched the app first. Uh, before we even launched the app, we were on breakfast television, and I got a call from a, a major player before the, the app even launched. But again, we're part of the reopening strategy. So knowing that what's happening is happening still when it comes to COVID and the lockdowns and food insecurity is still an issue. It was an issue before COVID, but now it's even a bigger issue now. We're, we're gonna do really well. I'm really confident that things are gonna work out. It's just a matter of getting that one really solid client and the way things are going right now, um, I feel very confident that there will be some major developments when it comes to B One To Give. That's what I'm sort of banking on and sort of putting all my faith in right now. So I'm just waiting for the shoes to drop and bam, we're on our way
0: wow this is really cool yeah and it's it's really cool that you guys are looking on the bright side that you know covid in some respects has been a bit of a perk to your company so now tony i know you said briefly um when you were highlighting the beginning of Be one to give that it started with you and your bike Tell us about the current process of how you get the food from the retailers to the food insecure individuals. You know, what is your team size and where can volunteers sign up?
2: So right now, well, we're in the process of purchasing a vehicle. I'm literally online all last week because the meal prep kitchen that we have as a partner right now, they're in Milton but it's only one. So whenever they have surplus food, they cover the cost of the redistribution. They use our service and they enter the food into the system, but we use one of their drivers to move it because it's usually about 10, 20 meals and we can just take it to one spot and drop it off. It's not profitable for me to leave my home, drive to Milton because I'm downtown Toronto, just to come back downtown. It's gonna cost me more to do that than it would for us to pay a delivery driver to do it for us. so we don 't have an issue with moving food right now because we 're not actively redistributing food from a larger number of clients. once we do, we as again as I mentioned, we are looking at a vehicle, but now i 'm looking at electric vehicles because I, if I 'm going to do this, I want to make sure that i 'm doing this the most sustainable way possible. And using a standard vehicle, you know, gas-powered vehicle just does it. It, it was an issue for me in the past, but it, it was I sort of resigned to, well, I need a gas-powered vehicle because there are no electric vehicles out there for me to do something like this. There are, but they're really small. But as of recent, Mercedes and Ford are both releasing electric vans within ex- this year and next year so i'm hoping that i'm able to secure i mean i may do like a short lease on a gas-powered vehicle until i'm able to get that electric vehicle but um it little, it's literally moving like when i was doing the pilot i was using car share it was called maven car share so i was using a vehicle to move food anyway um, so i had evolved from using my bike to using a vehicle but once COVID happened all the vehicle car share uh, services were closed down. So I had to go back to, well, how do I do this? So it, we did a massive run on like the 23rd of December. I boarded my aunt's vehicle. We redistributed about 400 meals that day, which was really great. Um, and this those meals were taken to uh, homebound seniors, Uh, or individuals who were stuck at home. This was also in December, so we were still under lockdown, but we took it to food insecure communities and not just the shelter systems. The shelter system is great, but they also had a lot of restrictions in place because of COVID, so people couldn't just generically bring food to them anymore. So I said, well, we need to sort of expand how we do this. And we were already looking at expanding the service into home delivery. So I said, you know what, let's test that process out and see if we can do a, a, a number of deliveries, home deliveries, um, and the service worked really well. We, I actually redistributed all the meals on the 23rd of December, got them all out. I didn't get back until 11 o'clock at night, but I also drove from um, Milton all the way across to Scarborough. So it was a long day, um, but I was also doing this on my own. Once we have all the drivers up and ready, the drivers are going to be using their own vehicles. So that it's, we are literally using the gig economy to um, execute our redistribution cycle. So we don't have to worry about vehicles. Um, but our primary vehicle, we're going to be looking at an electric vehicle to, uh, an electric vehicle to do that. Um, for people to get involved, we you don't need to volunteer with us. You can actually be employed by us because we are a for-profit social enterprise. So people can, I mean, let me rephrase. If you want to volunteer your time, we are willing to take volunteers. <laughs> but if you would like to do this on a more consistent basis, you can download the app, uh, it's on the App Store or Google Play. And you would join as a driver or co-pilot. If you have a vehicle and you want to join as a driver, you would register as a driver. And if you, have, if you don't have a vehicle, you could register as a co-pilot. Both of those individuals are considered a unit. So a driver and a co-pilot work together in order to execute our redistribution cycle on a nightly basis. So they're considered one unit. We know that as a base ratio, we need our, it's a two to five ratio. So two units per five retailers on a nightly basis. So in order to establish that, I need to have a lot of people to support Um, because in order for us to scale, we need to know that we have units in place that can easily be um, employed or or have a few hours work that night. So, yeah, we're looking for staff. We are we're going to do a job post probably next week um, because there have been calls that have happened that give me the indication that we're going to be really busy in about another month so we want to make sure that we have a a, a substantial complement one thing that we do plan to do is because of how uber set themselves up where they allow anybody to sign up and anybody can drive our system is not like that you anybody can sign up but not anybody can drive for us so you are vetted you are interviewed there's a process Um, Anybody who gets involved has to supply us with a vulnerable sector check because you're dealing with, not only are you working with somebody who may be a stranger in a vehicle, but you're dealing with uh, vulnerable members of the community. So we want to make sure that everybody is safe in their work environment, but also able to deal with the end users. And, you know, we just don't want any trouble. So we put people through a vetting process in order to work for us. Um, And because the co-pilots and drivers are paired through the app, it's like a Tinder pairing. So, You know, a driver says that they're active to work on this shift. A co pilot says they're active to work on that shift. And they are paired through the system, and that's how they go. So it's the system, it's a self sustaining service. We don't really do much other than manage the app itself. This initial process, we're managing client acquisition, where everyone else is managing our redistribution cycle. I am also managing it, so I shouldn't say everyone else. Um, But eventually, my intent is to scale back and move away from actually redistributing the food and just focus on the business and scaling the business and getting the app as far across Canada as possible. So I just wanna make sure that I am completely covered. Uh, I, I know very strongly that this, is, this app is unique. It's the first in Canada. Uh, we're the only one in Canada to do something like this. Others have done something similar, but not specifically like this, where we are, I call ourselves more of a concierge service for retailers and shelters or food insecure households because we are creating that service. We, create, we remove every single barrier that may be in place for anyone who's food insecure to receive surplus food because we are literally delivering it to you. So there's no reason for you not to have this food. Um, the retailers have the food. We know that there's a $49 billion food waste issue, so there is more than enough food to go around. There are more, and I'm pretty sure that there are more than 6 million Canadians who are food insecure because that data is from May of last year, and we don't know what those numbers are as of the end of 2020. And I'm pretty sure that they probably increased, if not doubled, they're probably close to eight, nine million. So there, there's a lot, like, I think we're just in a really, really um, perfect place uh, to do this at this point in time, at this time, of, uh, you know, at this time in our history. It's just perfect. There are so many food distribution programs that have popped up in the U.S. from, you know, COVID back to COVID-19. So, yes, we did it here. But and the programs that are popping up there are great. Everybody's doing great work, but we're the only ones to implement it as an app in Canada. So being the first and the only one to do this, we're going to be very successful especially because I'm the only one that owns this story. Nobody else has this story. So even if someone tried to do something similar, they don't have the story behind it. You know, they would just be copying what we did. Um, so it's, it's it, I'm really confident that we're gonna be really successful. Once those, once those low-hanging fruits start to drop and we are able to scale this platform across Canada, uh, it, it's, we're kind of, uh, what's the word? We're unstoppable almost. <laughs> like I just don't know what to say. with what we can do. Um, Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's, It's really an untapped market, Tony, in the sense that not only are you helping those in need, especially during these times and beyond, but it's something that I think you, and you're already kind of mentioning, are getting a lot of traction and engagement in. Bringing it back to your hiring needs, which is so incredible, you're known kind of as the Uber Eats style food program. And you reference kind of the gig economy, you referenced Uber, are kind of bring us through are there what are all the requirements for being a driver? So, um, you have to probably do a pre screening. Do you have to have a certain vehicle requirement? Um, what's kind of the driver eligibility to, to be part of your company?
2: Um, so, the drivers one, they have to have a car, of course, um, and they would have to buy a driver's license, proof of insurance, registration, all of that jazz. Right now, with the organization, we have three positions we have community manager, program officer and co-pilots. Community managers have a committed schedule of four days or three days per week. They also are able to work a full shift, which is six to 12. Community managers will also assist in training program officers and co-pilots. Program officers and community managers operate the exact same with exception of program officers have a choice of working one to four shifts a week to a maximum of four hours a day. So the, basically the main difference between community managers and program officers is not hours worked uh, because everything else is the same. The, the, the tasks and all the actions that you partake in during the redistribution cycle are all the exact same. Program officers also are required to work at least once a week. So the program, I'll get into a little bit more, but we, there's a scheduling piece that's really important. Um, but the co-pilots are, again, are able to work, similar to the community managers, are able to complement that shift because community managers are able to work those longer hours, so they should be able to as well. Co-pilots are also, um, they don't need to have a vehicle because they're not driving at all. And they also are required to work one shift per week. One thing that we're targeting when it comes to co-pilots is that we're really going to put our efforts into hiring people from marginalized communities, marginalized groups, or those who are facing uh, barriers to employment for any reason whatsoever. So we're really gonna be focuss- focusing on employing youth. So it's great that you guys are all university students. Um, actually, part of ours, the business structure itself is to employ young people because I'm older than young people. So uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Um, so it's easy, I think it would be easier for me to leave the work in the hands of younger climate activists um, and food justice advocates and, and so forth. Um, so th- those are the three positions, community manager, uh, program officer, co-pilot. Uh, the program officer has the ability to bounce between a co-pilot and program officer position because the, you just toggle between the two. So there is that availability there as well. Um, but we would prefer that you know program, program officers are driving because that's really what they're hired to do is to drive and move food around the city. Um, and that's really it. So you know, we pay them. We pay the co-pilots twenty bucks an hour. Program officers and community managers earn twenty five dollars an hour. Community managers will eventually earn more when we go into more area management because the cities will be broken down into sectors or areas. <laughs> um, so when they take into when they take into the area management piece, then they will earn a little bit a little bit more. But it's really, I mean, the service. I, I think because I lived it and did it for two years before I turned it into a business it it's just simple like i i'm not a tech anything like i'm a tech entrepreneur now but i'm not a tech person i can't design an app but i was able to design the infrastructure of this app because i knew what i needed the app to do i just needed to reiterate that to a designer i designed the ui like i'm again like these are things that i was able to say i want this color this font this box here, this, you know, I was doing it, I was designing it as if I were using it because I hate using complicated apps. So I'm thinking, well, how am I going to do this to make it simple so that, because it's a, it's a timed process, so people are moving through their shift on a 15 minute timer. So every action creates um, every 15 minutes, you will need to do an action of some sort, whether it be you're at a rescue, you're uh, moving, you're, you're doing something, you have to at least use your phone within every 15 minutes. And because of that, I realized, okay, if I'm doing this, how would I be able to do this as easily for me? Um, although I understand the complexity of what we're doing, although we're moving food, I mean the complexity behind what we're doing, um, this, the, the task at hand needs to be as simple as, po- as possible for not only the retailers, to use the app, but for the drivers to use the app because we don't want the system to be difficult. We don't want to create unnecessary barriers to anybody using the app on either end. The shelters don't even use the app. They simply get their QR code scan and that's it. They simply have to sign up. But the app is, I, I personally like the way it works. Um, other people have used it. We beta tested it. Everyone loves the way it works. Um, it's It's just the perfect solution. It's innovative, it's modern. It's tech-based, it simplifies uh, food waste from retailers. It has the capacity to eliminate avoidable food waste across multiple sectors along the supply chain because not only can we work with retailers, but we can work with suppliers to those retailers like pasta manufacturers, You know things of this nature. Uh, it's just the, the, the possibilities are endless and I guess I keep seeing them every time I talk about the program is that there is so much to be done that can be done. That I'm just. I just want to do it. Get the app, scale it, and just. I don't know. Like I want to. My goal is to eliminate um, food insecurity. Whether we will eliminate food waste, I, I'm. You know, I beg to differ on that um, because food waste is an animal all on all on its own. But I think we have a really strong product that has the capacity to tackle food and security security like no other program has done in the past so as long as we're able to do that as effectively as we think we can and i'm pretty sure that we will then i you know it's just a win-win for everyone
0: yeah tony i'm not gonna lie to you i'm kind of in awe like this is a really cool concept and i look forward to seeing the success of your company
2: yeah it's going to it's going i mean as i said i'm hoping for things start to really take off and we see that things are reopening now um we're gonna actually because it's been covid we we haven't been able to do face-to-face sales calls but we're going to start that next month it's going to be warmer they've lifted some of the requirements so the capacity in the grocery store is a little bit larger now uh so we're going to start hitting up some independent grocers just to get them engaged in the program and see what they think but yeah like i um i don't 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 be in awe um <laughs> just <laughs> just appreciate that there is someone out there doing something uh, like this, because I, I didn't even anticipate being able to do something like this. Um, so I guess I would be in awe of myself because I never envisioned <laughs> you know, creating, one, creating an app, and two, creating a system that can eliminate food insecurity across this country. So being able to do that simply because I went through it myself, I know what it's like. Food insecurity isn't because there's not enough food, it's because you don't have the income to buy the food, period and stop, there's no other reason for food insecurity other than income. So as long as people start to realize, people always look at food systems, getting food to people is is the primary issue when it comes to food insecurity. People can go, there's more than enough food to go around. We have thousands of grocery stores, thousands of restaurants, tens of thousands of restaurants, if not hundreds of thousands of restaurants. So there's more than enough food to to go around, people just can't afford it. And if they can't afford it, then what do they do? they find other ways to get food or they go without. So if we're able to solve all of those issues through the top of an app, then we're ready to do it.
0: Very cool, all right. Well, um, we were just curious as you expand, I know right now you're located in the GTA areas. Um, Are there any specific markets that you're looking to branch into at the moment?
2: Uh, global. <laughs> if yeah, I can get a global enough. market, then go, yeah, let's go do it. go home. <laughs> um, but yeah, for now, what I want to do is I want to just want to tackle Ontario and get Ontario under control. Once we scale the GTA, as, again, the system is very easily implemented in any other city. So once we have the infrastructure set up here, we can really easily implement that infrastructure in any other city across the country. We'll probably target uh, you know, the core cities: Vancouver, uh, Calgary. Winnipeg, we'll be in Toronto, most likely Montreal, and then a province in the east coast, most likely Halifax, because I'm from Nova Scotia, I'm from Halifax, so why not go to my hometown, um, and then just scale it like we, it's like scale it like a web and just let that web grow across each of those provinces. So we once we're in the Atlantic provinces, we can scale all across Newfoundland, PEI, New Brunswick, Montreal will be all of Quebec, and Ontario will be all of Ontario, and then once you get in the west coast it's easy to scale through all of those cities and we really want to target First Nations communities as well, setting up services so that they get the resources they need. I don't understand, like my grandmother's is Métis, so it's, it's really close that the First Nations community is really close to me, literally within my family. So I want to make sure that we are able to support them as well. They've been robbed um, in, in every sense of the word. Um, so I really want to make sure that we're servicing those communities as well. And I think the best way to do that is provide those redistribution services to them. They're not being serviced right now. The resources they have are slim to none. So if I'm able to provide those resources to them, let's do it. I just want to make sure that everybody's taken care of and we can cover as much ground as possible. So we're going to start with um, Ontario, Toronto first and just scale and scale. I want to scale again. We're, we're the only ones in Canada there are a couple programs like this in the US, but they're in different states. And, and because they're in different states, they service different demographics that get different retailers that are in different states. Um, there is a program similar but not much to in London, but London, England, that is. But there's not like i I think there may be less than half a dozen redistribution apps in the world right now from what I've done on my research. And as long as the city is able to support food redistribution, then we can implement this app and scale it anywhere to any city around the world. So I'll start with, you know, taking over uh, locally and then regionally and then nationally and then internationally in that order.
1: In that order. Hopefully you can skip a step there. Go straight to international. (laughs) Um,
2: Listen, if I can go international right away, then let's do it. But um, yeah, for sure.
1: Incredible, Tony. So you've really given us a nice timeline of not only the origins, but also your kind of future ambitions here. So let's wrap up. And this is how we've been wrapping up all of season two with all of our guests is Tell us, and this is kind of just to end on a positive note, but tell us your biggest highlight of operating a social enterprise as a social entrepreneur.
2: Um, being able to give back. I I remember, um, I'm going to say, f- what? okay, this is 2021, so 2004, five, maybe? Um, I remember I was leaving my first job, my first bank job, and when I was leaving, I remember I, I was sort of in between. I was going from one, I was leaving my one job and I was going to another. And I remembered saying, as long as I do good in the world, then I'll be happy with what I do in my life. Because I knew I didn't want to work in a bank anymore. And banking wasn't allowed me to do. Like, how could you work? What good was I doing in a bank other than taking people's money and making the bank richer? So I said, I, all I wanted to do was, was do good in the world. I just didn't know what that was. And a colleague of mine had given me a book Called the Purpose Driven Life, and I read the book from cover to cover, and that reading that book made me decide to quit my job at the bank because I knew that what like that was not my purpose. My purpose driven life was not to work in a bank. A year later, I ended up back in another bank, but that's a whole other story. Um, but the fact is that I knew at that moment that I needed to that I wanted to make a change, and I knew I wanted to give back in some way, and I kept that mentality throughout the next ten years until I was able to start my own business, which was a social enterprise. But I was working with organizations that were dealing with social issues like homelessness. Habitat for Humanity was actually my first client. They were covered at the end of the event, but I <laughs> I lost my shirt. Um, but I was dealing with organizations who were focused on social issues. So I knew that I wanted to give back in that realm. I just didn't know what it was going to be. And because I had worked in banking and I worked in, in uh, the nonprofit sector, but I also worked Uh, part-time weekends running events that I had all of this cross-sector experience that I could really integrate and turn into my own social enterprise. And that's when I started my business in 2015. And starting that business is what failed. That business was the one that failed and that failure brought me here. So I am now giving back the way I want to I, it just took a really, really rough, <laughs> long and rough road to get here. But I'm now finally doing what I wanted to do, which was give back. So if, as long as I'm able to give back to the community in any way, shape or form, you know whether it be feeding other people. Initially, when I started my business five years ago, it was because I wanted to, I was focused on literacy. I was focused on social inclusion and I was focused on homelessness. So that's where my focus was. It's like, let's make sure that people who are homeless have a home or have some sort of resources to get a home. Um, people who are illiterate, adults who are illiterate, you know, let's get them in a program where they can work on their literacy skills to get them employed. This is where my head was five, six years ago when I was starting that business. But I was doing it all around events. It was strictly event-based because I had worked so long in events on the other end. So I'm glad that I went through that experience because I realized, yes, I love events and I can always produce an event like that. It's not a big deal. But program development is really what I enjoyed the most because when I was working in the nonprofit sector, developing a program gave me life. You know, putting together all the logistics and the requirements necessary to get a program up and running for our organization gave me the energy in order to promote that program and sell it to anyone that we were dealing with on, on partnership development. So doing this the way it's being handled now, I'm right back in that, doing it all over again, but doing it for my business the way I want to do it. So, yeah, I just, I love being able to give back to those who aren't able to find the resources for themselves to do what it is that they need to do. And knowing that I had that vision six, five, six years ago, and I'm still able to enact that vision today is fantastic because I haven't really pivoted my mindset. I just pivoted the way I did the work in order to get the message out there. So yeah, I think this was the best experience I've ever had in my life. Wow. And I'm loving every minute of it.
0: It has been such a pleasure to hear your story, Tony. On behalf of all of DECA U Canada, thank you so much for talking with us today.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I mean, getting the word out is all we're really here to do. Um, so yeah, if you have students that want to join we, the app, you want to give, that's all you need to do is download the app
0: hear that everyone look it up <laughs> and best of luck with your future success with your business
2: thank you so much and i should add b1 to give on the app store is the letter b the number one the number two and the word give so when you read it it reads b12 give so when you download it you're going to see if you look for an app as b12 give that's us it's just an acronym for b1 to give and we love it
1: perfect Amazing. Do you have any social media platforms you'd like to promote, Tony? Same.
2: B12 Give. Everywhere. Awesome. There <laughs> go. There we go. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, everywhere.
1: Thank you so much, Tony.
2: Awesome. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate it.